0: Let me pray. Father, our prayer this morning is that your word would come alive to us. And that your word would come alive in us. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 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 Well, Church, we've been in a series uh, on Acts for a a number of weeks now. Can't think exactly how many, but uh, we've been calling that series The Church on Fire. Now, that, of course, is uh, in line with our vision. That's our vision that we would be a church on fire. But the reason we've been looking at, at the early church in the book of Acts is really to ask the question, what does it look like when the church is set on fire? And we sort of trace the story from the beginning of Acts where we see Jesus giving his final instructions to the church. And then after that, the Holy Spirit comes on the church at Pentecost. And and some people call that the birthday of the church. You know, there's this moment of power where God visits his people. And after that, all sorts of fun and games kick off. And for the last, probably, 5 or 6 weeks at least we've been looking at some of the fun and games and there've been miraculous healings and all sorts but as i said the reason to look at the early church is is to really ask the question what does it look like when the church is on fire and i think we're trying to ask sort of two different related questions firstly what is the identity what is the identity of the church what is the church and what is our identity as the church? And as we've been looking at the Church of Acts, we've seen a number of things that the church is a, a group of ordinary people. We did that a few weeks ago, who, who do extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is a spirit-filled people. The church is a, a courageous and bold and risk-taking people. Churches are people that uh, do all that, that are. Able to stand up to powerful people and tell them the truth, to speak the truth to power. We've seen all sorts of different things. But a lot of what we've been focused on has been looking at the external signs, the external interactions, if you like, of the church. This week, we're going to take a look, as it were, inside, a sneak peek, a window inside the church. And look at how they relate to one another. I want to put a a quote up on the screen by a guy called Leslie Newbigin. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible? That people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. So that's, our, that's the premise of this entire series. That if the church is the church, if the church actually believes and lives the gospel, that's the best explanation to the world of what the gospel looks like. In other words it isn't a preacher on a soapbox out there somewhere shouting a message you know Hyde Park corner in London or wherever market square that's worth that's worthy and god uses that and all that's fantastic but the best the most effective demonstration of what jesus looks like in flesh and blood the most effective demonstration is a church that lives the message The only hermeneutic or explanation, it's a fancy word, of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. What kind of community, this is the question I want to ask this morning, what kind of community changes the world? And what we see, uh, the first thing I think we see in this scripture, actually beginning in the Acts 2 scripture, if you've got your Bible, do open it. Acts two verse 42 onward, it says this, "They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer." Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The first thing we see in this text in Acts 2, chapter 2, 42 is this: that the church, when it's working properly, the church, when it's being the church, is a church which is a learning community. It says they devoted themselves. The apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Well, you can just imagine that when Peter, you know, John and and James and all the other guys are sort of just hanging about in this in this sort of crew, probably of a similar size to this. There they were in the upper room or wherever it is they were gathering, and the apostles probably daily would just share the stuff that they should be sharing stuff with a wider community. Now numbering over three thousand people. They'd be sharing stuff with the community that Jesus had said to them. And, and you know, these people, these 3,000 people who had been drawn in Jerusalem, drawn into Jerusalem, many probably who have gone by this point to be, go back to wherever they were called from, they didn't know Jesus. These 3,000 people, or however many were left, had never met Jesus. Many of them, some of them had, but many hadn't. And they wanted, they were so hungry for Jesus, they were hungry to know about Jesus. What is this thing? What is this power that we've experienced? That was surely the question they were asking. And the apostles, their job was to unpack the truths that lay behind their experience. Isn't that the way it often is? That we experience God first. And then we have to figure out what it all means Some of you, that's been the case. There probably are some of us that maybe, you know, we we did read a book first or whatever, and we came to a knowledge first, and then we experienced the power of God. But for many of us, I would argue the experience of God, even in the hunger to read a book, is always first. God moves first. We respond. We experience His grace. And then we've got a problem. We need to figure out what it was that was going on. And that's what's happening in this earliest community. And because of this hunger that emerges in them, they devote themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. There's a hunger to learn. Pentecost means, that because of Pentecost, because the Spirit had been poured out, there's a school of discipleship. And these people are hungry to learn. They're hungry to learn from the apostles. They want to know about Jesus. Every move of God includes with it a people hungry for the word of God. Every move of God it includes with people who are ravenous, hungry to, to know what God thinks. People become hungry to experience the scripture. This is the case for me. I remember in my early teens, I remember I was confirmed at something that happens in the Church of England. Uh, if you're new to this Church of England thing, it's a confirmations service where the bishop just confirms you in your faith, and you make some vows to God. And I remember my confirmation. I remember being given by my parents a red Bible, um, and I tell you, I, I, I remember the first thing I ever read, and it was the Book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of a funny place to begin. Honestly, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. I still remember the smell of that Bible. I still have that Bible with me. It's falling apart now, but still remember those early days reading. I was so hungry for the Word of God. I just used to read through page after page. You know, Some of it I committed to memory. Most of the Psalms that I remember, I prayed the Psalms. I prayed the Psalms for years. Most of the Psalms I remember are from that version. Just as a teenager, a young, young boy, just being shaped by that. Whenever God is moving in our lives, there's just, there is a hunger for Him. A hunger for the, the Word of the, of the, of the Scripture The early church is a learning community, devoted. And the word devoted, by the way, I mean it has to do with a heart cry, doesn't it? Devotion isn't something that originates, I don't think, in the mind. It's something which comes from the heart. But it engages with the will. The word devoted in the original language actually is close to the word persevered. And it says here they devoted themselves, doesn't it? They devoted themselves. Who's doing the work? Well, of course, the Spirit's doing the work. Pentecost comes. The Spirit of God falls on these people, and a hunger emerges. And yet, they devote themselves. They carve out time. Busy people. Lots to do. Okay, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't know the perils of social media, folks. At this point, they didn't know the perils of the printing press. Maybe they were less distracted. Were they less anxious? Were they less troubled by suffering and pain and loss? No. But they devoted themselves. They persevered in. They carved out time and space in their busy lives for the apostles' teaching, for the scripture. Oh, that we become a church devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's not my teaching, folks. That's the scripture. That that we'd become a place and we talk about, you know, we'd become a community where we were just hungry share hungry to to receive and to share with each other the word of God. That it'd become instinctive if one of us shares a problem that we'd have, not in a cliche, a a sort of, you know, shallow way, but to say, look, I I wonder if God's saying this, you know, to you. I've been reading this and I just wonder if there's something here for you. And yet we talk. I talk a lot, certainly with the architects here, about this space being an urban monastery in our city. What do I mean by that? I don't mean like a, cathed- like a really religious space. I mean a place where all of life happens. You know, monasteries, there are seven main spaces. I'm going to forget them all now. But there's an eating space. There's a community space. There's prayer space. There's worship space. There's work space. There's a learning space and there's garden space. I've got all seven. I want this building to have all of those things. And one of those things is a learning community at its heart. We, we, our vision is that this place would be a place where people can come all day, every day, and learn about God. Learn about God. Not, not, just, not just like learn about scripture. Do you understand? Not just learn about theology. Learn about how God applies to every part of their lives. Learn about how if you follow Jesus, you, you're going to be a better worker. I want businesses in this, in this city to be saying things like, man, we've got a job open. You know what we need? We, want, we need one of those Christians. We need one of those people who goes to Trinity Church because they work harder, and they're more efficient, and they're more diligent. They produce more than anyone else in our business. They're kinder. Everyone in their team is happier. A learning community, a group of people inspired by God and is The scripture and his truth. Here come the children. Amazing. Great, we're the church together here. Welcome, children. Come in. Find a parent if you can. It's going to be a bit noisy, folks, but that's all right. Here we are, the family of God. Amy and I were part of a church uh, in... um, Parents, feel free to stand and make yourselves noted <laughs> to your children. I don't know how we're going to do this, but uh, we were part of a church in in London before we went to California, and that church was so hungry for the presence of God. It was a wonderful thing that happened in our lives when we were there. People would come and receive prayer at the end of the services. There was just this imminent sense of God's presence. People were so hungry and thirsty for God. It was wonderful. God was on the move there. And then we went to this church in California, and it was less of that, honestly. It was less obviously like that, but there was a hunger for the Bible. When when the preacher was preaching, people would open their Bible, and they'd pour over it. They'd bring the Bible with them. They'd discuss the Scripture week in and week out. There was a hunger for the Word. You could get away with speaking for 45 minutes on Sunday morning there, folks. Unbelievable. Freedom. Amazing. (laughs) We dream of doing that to you. We dream of, of seeing both of those here come together. A church that's about the Word and the Spirit. You know, somebody said that when, when you have the Word without the Spirit, you dry up. When you have the Spirit without the Word, you blow up. But when you have the Word and the Spirit together, you grow up. And our dream is that as our church, we'd have a hunger for the Word of God, for the apostles' teaching, and see the manifest presence and power of God poured out as well. And thirdly, that we would be a church where you you learn how to practice your faith in simple, repeatable ways. We want to be a learning community. Secondly, this scripture teaches us that we're to be a loving community. What do we see? They devoted themselves, still verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The word there is koinonia. For those of you who like to learn a word, kids, can you say this with me? Koinonia. Brilliant, Raph. Excellent, Rafi, Get that man a sticker. Koinonia. Koinonia means, uh, it means... A common life, shared life, shared life. Say that with me, kids, shared life. Share that with me, church, shared life. Excellent, koinonia is shared life. Listen to this, verse 46, every day they continue to meet together, every day. In other words, the early church is not a a group of people loosely associated like a Facebook group. Yeah, I'm in a group. I'm on Facebook. We're loosely associated. You know, that's not what the church, that's not the vision of church in the New Testament. The church is is not some loose association. It's people who are doing life together. Now, in a group of people, a hundred strong or whatever we are at the moment, We're not all going to be able to do life together, but within this group, there will be, and our dream is that there are groups of people who are sharing life together. Because we want to be a loving community, a deep community. Amy's just going to come and share something that God's been speaking to her.
1: This week particularly, the last couple of weeks, I have... um, been feeling like God is sort of saying the same thing to me. You know when everything you listen to, everything that you read, every sort of Facebook post or Instagram is like, oh, wow, it's all saying the same stuff. And, um, and really what I have felt, which is very simple, but I feel like God has been really challenging me on what it really means to love, what it really means to love the person in front of me without agenda, just purely loving the person in front of me, and, um, and one of the things that actually really um, struck me this week, because I was um, we have a, f- a great friend in America who um, is a choreographer, and she um, is an incredible dancer, and she teaches students um, to dance, and she's great at it, and she gets amazing things out of these girls, and she sent me this little video that she did, and I'm going to quote um, from her, because it really sort of hit me this week. She said, before she does anything, she said, the number one thing I have to do before anything is to choose people. I literally fall head over heels in love with these people because you are then able to see their talents, hear what they have to say. If you allow someone to be seen in that way, you were able to light up a part of them that they didn't know was there or thought that it was a light but wasn't. And you can guide them to their own personal magic that makes them fearfully and wonderfully made. And I was really um, struck by that this week, that 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 word even, I'm going to choose, people. I'm going to choose to love this person in front of me, even when it's the person that you might not get on that well with or the person that you find difficult. In that moment, I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose to listen. I'm going to choose to hear. I'm going to choose to not be judgmental. I'm going to choose to take them exactly where they're at. And I just thought, wow, what a, what a compelling um, what a compelling thing to say and what um, an amazing thing to see that we, w- we could be a community um, that could be like that. And I've just um, jotted a few things down here. Um, again, this instead of hindrance, the opportunity um, to stretch um, our capacity to love. Instead of people being a hindrance, it's allowing us to stretch our capacity to love. That we would be a community that encourage each other, that um, draw out the best of each other, that see Jesus in each other and pull it out um, and encourage it into being. Um, To release others, to not control others. to not be a backbiting community. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, to talk, you know, about other people sometimes. And it's like, and I just feel, again, that the Lord is saying, no, stop the backbiting. If that is something um, that is easy for you to get swept in, it's like, it's, it's, it kills unity. And so I just, I really want to encourage us that when you feel the niggle that actually you're in a, in a conversation that isn't life-bringing, to listen to it. And to stop. That's something that I really felt like I wanted to say. Um, and, um, and the thing that I want to leave with you, actually, is um, what I feel like God is saying to me is the sort of sieve through everything I do is, is it loving? And so I leave with you, even sort of, sort of see it on my arm type thing. Is it loving? Is what I'm talking about, is it loving? Is the conversation that I'm having loving? Is what I'm doing at work loving? Is, it, is being with my kids, is it loving? And so I just um, encourage us this morning um, to go out and have that sort of um, banner is it loving? Is it loving? And I think we're going to see um, a shift. I think we'll see a change. Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks, Ames.
0: And what we see here is that loving, uh, loving one another is about sharing. See this particularly in chapter 4. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. goes on to say... God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet. A loving community is a sharing community. And if you read that, if you can read that and not just have your jaw hit the floor, you haven't read it properly. Seriously, like the, the, there is a scandalous and radical demonstration of generosity in the earlier, earliest church. You know, and, and actually, what's happening is that the earliest church undercuts any, any capitalistic notion whatsoever. You know, even to the extent that people, people refuse the concept of private ownership. Now, our whole society is built on the concept of private ownership. That what I have is mine, what you have is yours, and I have the rights. You notice how much in our culture you hear the, the language of rights? Not biblical language, but how often we hear this language of rights. I have the right I am entitled to dispose of and to use that property exactly as I please. I may give it to you in charity, and I may not. And the early church knows nothing of this. There's this, just this radical sharing. And you see, sharing goes so far beyond charity. You see, when I give to you in charity, I retain the power and there's, there's something that happens between me and you where I, I continue to be in a position of power, right? Because I'm the one giving and you're the one receiving. But when it's about sharing, there's no power transaction happening at all, right? I, I'm not the giver, you the recipient. We together share. And that's what we're about to do at the Lord's table. We're about to recognize uh, physically that we're all sharing, Though we are many, we are one body. Why? Because we all share in one bread. Wouldn't it be amazing if if even, even a fraction of the love that's demonstrated in the early church through sharing happened here? And I know it's already happening. We've heard stories of people just people just opening up their, their homes to others, opening up their hands, their giving their savings away, sharing their savings with other people so that they might receive what they need. How powerful it would be. How powerful it would be to the world if they saw a community that shared, that loved in that way. I've loads more examples which I don't have time for. It's incredible to see the church being a learning community. It's also incredible to see the church being a loving community. And finally, we see the church as a worshipping community. It says the church here devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, a learning community, to fellowship, a loving community, and finally to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is how the church worshipped. The breaking of bread, which was the Lord's Supper. So what would happen, if you don't know in the early church what they would do, is, is in this case, daily they'd meet together to eat. And they'd have a shared meal together. They'd probably meet in the atrium of a larger house. If there was someone wealthier in their community, they'd get together in their house. And the houses were, were organized around an atrium, an open space. And they'd gather in that space. Maybe there are 30 or 40 people in that space. And they'd share a meal. And as part of that meal, they'd celebrate together the Lord's Supper. They'd all bring their own food like we're about to do at the Arboretum. And then they'd celebrate the Lord's Supper together. They'd remember him in that way. And they did this, it says, every day they met to do this. They did it in their homes, and they also met in the temple courts to pray. So we have a rhythm here of the Lord's, of Lord's Supper, of eating together. We have a rhythm of prayer as well. Secondly, it says that they did this, they worshipped with glad and sincere hearts. It says that in verse 46. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. We have gathered worship. We have scattered worship. And it, and it says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In other words, there were some who were rejoicing. And yet there were also some who were just bringing sincerely, honestly, the state of their hearts. That's what we want to be about here. We want to be a a, a glad and joyful church in worship. Also a truthful and honest church in our worship. We don't want to cover over the cracks of our lives when we come into God's presence. There's got to be a sincerity in our worship. And for some of us, that means worshipping from the place of lament. But we're a worshipping church because the earliest church is a worshipping church. And what happened as a result of this, and I'll come into land here, in the middle of the chaos as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. It says here, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. Earlier on it says, everyone, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So we have awe. We have a manifest sense of the presence of God among the community. As they're learning, as they're loving, as they're worshiping, God is present with them. And then we have salvation every day. God stretching out his hand and bringing people into his family. That's what we want to see here. And we see that as we represent, through the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, a learning community, a loving community, a worshipping community.